0: I don't <laughs>
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to AbbeyCast. This is our third episode today. Um, we're really grateful that you're joining us. We're really grateful that you've been supporting the Springhouse Ministry here at Dalesford Abbey. And we are especially thankful that we have Abbot Dominic Rossi, the Abbot of the community here at Dalesford, as our guest on the podcast today. So welcome, Abbot Dominic. Uh, Abbot, would you mind sharing with our audience here, what is the title of Abbot? What does it mean? Uh, what does that entail? Maybe what's the history of it? Uh
0: Well, uh, very simply, the word abbot comes from the word abba, Mm. meaning father. So um, the intent is that the abbot would be like a spiritual father for the community. Um, And since this is a community of primarily priests, um, the the head of the community would be sort of a a shepherd of the shepherds of God.
1: Very good. I, I... Um, have heard of the title abbot before, but it was really not until my encounter with Dalesford Abbey here and and you personally that I've come to to know what an abbot is and uh, learned a little bit about what they do. Um, So as you are the the spiritual leader of the community here, um, would you care to share a little bit today about your own spiritual journeys? Um, We contemplate uh, what it is that um, calls us to God, um, what it is that calls us to, to be the people that uh, God wants us to be, right? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe how that uh, applies to each of us individually. We're, we're all, each on our own spiritual journey. Right. And uh, it's something that can be difficult to navigate at times. Sure. But if we can maybe hear the journeys of other people, um, I think that helps put it in context. And, uh Something that really strikes me about Abbot Dominic is that he's a very normal guy, down-to-earth guy. You can have a conversation with him about uh, making Sunday gravy, you know, and then that can easily transition into him sharing something about his spiritual life or his spiritual journey that is very profound yet relatable. And uh, for those that are just listening to this podcast, I think they have a little bit of an advantage because they don't see him in his white habit right now. And when he's just sharing a story with you in his shorts, T-shirts, and flip-flops, it doesn't come with the loaded presupposition of, oh, he's a religious guy. Because I think there's a lot of like mental triggers that just fire off when we see someone in a Habit or some sort of religious clothing, you know. So, uh, yeah, maybe if you're watching the podcast, just kind of close your eyes for a second and envision him in shorts and flip flops. But uh, I'm really grateful that he's willing to share this story with us today. So, um, maybe we'll just talk about where it all started. You know, would you care to share about your family and growing up and what sort of influence they had on you spiritually? Uh, well, uh,
0: I, I come from a very uh, close knit family, uh, loving family um my my family my background is Italian and um and uh in my family I had some sense of the connectedness with the family of God and maybe I could get I could share two uh, little examples um one time my mother was uh babysitting my youngest my oldest actually nephew and um I happened to be visiting, I was there when, when she had him in her arms, so my little nephew David at the time, uh, he saw a statue of Mary, the Blessed Mother, mm-hmm. uh, in my mother's house. And he pointed, and, and he wasn't able to speak yet, so he goes, eh, eh, like, who's that or what's that? And uh, my mom responded very naturally, that's Jesus' mommy. That's Jesus' mommy. Mm-hmm. And spontaneously, my nephew, who wasn't yet able to speak, blew her a kiss, blew, blew the Blessed Mother a kiss. <laughs> and I thought, wow! <laughs> and it struck me that since that was the way my mother was teaching or instructing my nephew David, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's certainly how she taught me. Sure. She helped me to understand that Mary and the saints are part of our family; that mm. we're we're connected. So there's a sense of intimacy with God's family. Mm-hmm. So that was one element uh, mm-hmm. that they weren't strange or they weren't you know distant. Uh, one other example: uh, <laughs> I was home, and my mom had the special uh, affection for Saint Anthony. In fact, that's why that's my second name, Dominic Anthony. Mm. Um, and she would. Called cool on St. Anthony a lot, including to, to look, help her look for things that were lost or misplaced. But my mom, but my mom was so comfortable with St. Anthony, talking to St. Anthony, that one time I heard her say, St. Anthony, what are you doing? I need your help now. Come on. Um, you you, you lay, laying low or something? What, <laughs> what's the matter with you? And my father was there, And my father interjected, "Don't talk to him like
1: that." (laughs) So your dad had Saint Anthony's back, huh?
0: Yeah, Yeah. it was. They were they were talking to Saint Anthony. He was right there. They were intimate with him. Mm -hmm. And my father was like, you know, be respectful or something Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. there was like no question about whether or not Saint Anthony was listening in. Right. Uh, The question was uh, that my parents, both of them, seemed to uh, just. Connect with the saints, and they
1: gave Mm -hmm. that sense to me as well. Mm. I I could almost envision, you know, St. Anthony being like an uncle of yours in the kitchen, you know, and (laughs) and your mom's yelling at her brother, and your dad's sticking up for his brother in law. Come on, give this guy a break, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. St. Anthony, there was a, a, on the
0: way to the Italian market, which my my mother went to frequently while she was uh, carrying me in her womb, uh, there was a little church. With outside a statue of Saint Anthony, and my mother would stop there. Mm. Uh, I think she was praying for a safe delivery. Mm. So she was praying for me, and and uh, um, that sense of connection to the saints has always been a part of me.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know if I'm just sharing personally, but um, I I think for a fair amount of people, the saints are a, a convenient pathway to God and to exploring their faith because. There are people that live lives like you and I, and they each have their little nuances and quirks, right, which which makes us, they they make us us, right? Right. So when we find someone that we resonate with, that can be a nice pathway to learning more about God. Yeah,
0: we we learn an awful lot about God through the saints, Mm -hmm. through just looking at how they lived, we say, oh, maybe I
1: could do that too. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, you're growing up in your family, there's an obvious influence of the saints and uh, the, the... It's normalized. They're part of the household, right? That's right. And how did you find yourself eventually then, a little later in your life, drawn to the Norbertines particularly?
0: Well, uh, for and I can't really explain how it began, except maybe it was the influence of my family. Mm. But I, I always loved God. I can never remember a time when I did not love God. And because of that, I always loved being near people who loved God. So uh, when I first came out to visit the Norbertines here at, at Dalesford, um, I wasn't thinking of becoming a priest. Uh, I was coming with a friend of mine from high school who was mm-hmm. thinking of being a priest. And I just came out here, and I I just experienced a special peace. Um, and I was just drawn to this uh, place where, where God was... Like the center of life, mm-hmm. and and that really that really uh, uh, guided me. I guess wanting to be near people who love God, wanting to be close to that that divine love, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that explains why I um, I found some inspiration from two movements. Sure, uh, in the Catholic Church, especially like in the. Uh, Uh, 1970s and and beyond um, the the charismatic renewal and uh, the Focolare movement. Uh, One thing that they had in common was a sense of intimacy with God. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe that's why they appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Um, The the charismatic renewal uh, was rather big in the Catholic Church uh, right immediately after uh, the Second Vatican Council and it seemed to be a new awareness of the Holy Spirit's action in the church. Okay. And people were uh, reminded of the, the the presence of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's where they get the word charismatic. It's the charisma, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to us even today. And um, and that God intervened on our behalf, especially if we ask. There's a, a, a little bit of a, a cute story, I think, I first encountered the Charismatic Renewal, I was a volunteer, I was a seminarian, volunteer at a school for autistic children on Cape Cod. And uh, the woman who founded the the school, uh, there were a number of staff people, but a few staff people um, gathered together to pray every evening in her home, the woman's home. And uh, they invited me to join them, and I did, and I didn't know anything about the Charismatic Renewal, but they... They prayed with um like a freedom uh to Jesus like mm-hmm. he's right there mm-hmm. and um I, I they closed their eyes when they prayed, and I was like I kept my eyes open, and I was looking at them and said wow, you know Jesus is right here and so I like that uh and uh, <laughs> one of the these one of the young women who was there uh Praying, her name was Joni, and uh, she was a real character, uh, just unembarrassed to talk about her faith. And mm-hmm. so, uh, they, she was Joni was saying to me in front, at, at the entrance of the school. By the way, not all the the people in the school were of this mind. Okay, they, it was just a few of them. I'm sure. And so Joni was telling me how they they needed a pickup truck for a day uh, to do something at the school. Mm-hmm. And so Joni starts right out loud in front of the school. Uh, She said, well, we can pray. Jesus is going to help us as we need. And and she prayed out loud. Lord Jesus. (laughs) When she said that, I wanted to crawl in myself. I'm like, I don't do this out loud. (laughs) She said, Lord Jesus, you know we need a pickup truck. I thank you that you're going to provide what we need. Uh, She said, Lord Jesus. And I wanted to say to myself, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, But the very next day, um, again, right in front of the school, Mm -hmm. uh, Joni was there, and uh, there were some workmen that came to the school Mm -hmm. to install a cyclone fence. And uh, I was standing right next to Joni when this young workman
1: Mm -hmm.
0: said, "Uh, Joni, uh, we're going to be here all day. My pickup truck is just going to be parked here. If you need it for anything here are the keys to the car. Uh-huh. Here are the keys to the truck. And I wanted to say, Lord Jesus. Yeah. So it was that sense that God answers prayer, that God is right there, and God's involved with our lives. So that was a, a very positive experience for me. And I got to know the Charismatic Renewal. And one of the things that I loved the most was, uh, over time, uh, the, the, the freedom and the joyous worship that, um, that I, I experienced with the Charismatic Renewal. Mm-hmm. And so we had a, a rather large group here at the Abbey, uh, and the worship that that we experienced was just
1: um, heavenly, mm-hmm. heavenly. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, too, because it, you started with how it was a little odd for you. It took you out of your comfort zone, right? It, it stretched you. And i found similar in my own journey that I've found myself in certain situations It's like, oh my God, how did I find myself in this room with this group doing this? But then you have a certain uh, humility or openness to it, and the Spirit kind of just does what it will, and before you know it, it's it's all within the flow of things. So that's wonderful how uh, you were willing to take that leap of faith and step out into the unknown with it. And here it is having shaped you so much,
0: right? And yeah. um, um, so the, the the prayer community here, the Body of Christ prayer community here at the Abbey, was really trying to listen for God's guidance, and uh, um, and we were led. Quite honestly, one one of the things that we we did as a community was begin a, a what has become a major outreach to the homeless. Mm. In Philadelphia, a Bethesda Project. Mm-hmm. Maybe that how that started is a, yeah, a subject we'll, for another. We'll time. do a whole another
1: podcast with that. But, one.
0: but uh, when when you see that the 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 inter what what was clear to us the intervention of God in calling us to the homeless and in opening doors for us it was really something to behold that God was definitely not only calling us but empowering us mm-hmm. to do this ministry. Um, So then the other movement, uh, so the the Charismatic Renewal was kind of uh, free-flowing and and not terribly disciplined. And so um, there were some elements in the Charismatic Renewal in general where he said, Mm hmm, "Hmm, they should be a little bit more careful about this Mm -hmm. or that. But the other movement was the, the Focolare movement, which... Began
1: in Italy in 1943. And could I just pause you? Would you be able to spell that for our listeners, focolare? Focolare.
0: F-O-C-O-L-A-R-E.
1: Okay.
0: And it's it's the Italian word for hearth. Mm. Hearth. Uh, uh, You gather around the hearth, the fire, and uh, you live the gospel. Mm. And it was begun... um, during World War II, and uh, th- there were people in the city of Trent. Trent was being bombed. Uh, it was on the. It's the one pass between Germany and Italy, okay. and uh, Trent, because of that strategic position, was bombed by the Allies constantly, he mm-hmm. constantly bombed. And so the people who lived in Trent were had to to find as. Uh, shelter, bomb shelter, you know, makeshift bomb shelters at any moment of the day. And uh, so there were these, uh, they started out with some women with Kiara Lubick uh, who gathered in these shelters, uh, you know, which might have been uh, a stone archway uh, as uh, a shelter. And they had the Book of the Gospels with them and they weren't sure that they were going to survive. And so... They they tried to live uh, uh, one word one phrase or, or sent verse of the scriptures or the gospels mm-hmm. each day because they thought this could be their last day, and uh, they without going it maybe that's there's there's room to talk about the focalati at more at length at mm-hmm. another time but mm-hmm. uh, they were very much uh, trying to fulfill the prayer of Jesus Father may they all be one. May they be so completely one that the world will believe uh, it was you who sent me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, a little later in this talk, I'll, I'll share why that scripture was so important to okay. me. But um, they, they really try to put that love into practice, to sacrifice themselves for one another in very practical ways, some mostly little ways of mm. uh, the daily life, but also could be in more significant ways. So I got in 1982, I was able to uh, spend some time at the school for men's religious who were connected to the Focolare, okay. And it was in, it's conducted in Italian. Mm. And this was in Italy? It was in Italy. Okay. At the time, the school was in Castel Gandolfo, uh, not too far from Rome. And, um, so uh, my Italian was minimal, uh, so I really, uh, tried to understand the spirituality of the Focolati by observing. Mm. And, um, we sat, uh, there were tables of eight. I don't remember, three, four tables, uh, at a time, each for the meals. And at each of the meals, the the main meal at, like, one o'clock and the dinner meal at eight o'clock... Uh, eight people at a table uh, and invariably there would be a basket of apples at the end of the meal. Eight apples in each basket. Now, the, the guy who was the uh, director of the, this, this school uh, of Spirituality his family had, had a farm and they donated a whole truckload of apples that were stored in their cellar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got there in March, and um, <laughs> by that time, uh, the apples were not at their peak. Sure. You know, uh, we're, here in America, we're used to apples being perfect, or we reject them. Yeah. Well, uh, the apples that they served at the meals, they didn't look that great. You know, they kind of like were a little bit shriveled up on the outside, maybe had a a, a bruise or something like that. And, uh, this is what I noticed. There were eight apples in the basket for eight people. And that was our, quote-unquote, dessert, each of those two meals a day, uh-huh. every single day. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking to myself, I was kind of like, oh, these apples don't look that appealing. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I don't want that apple. Hmm. That's the worst apple. Uh, And as soon as I thought that, the first person who picked the apple picked that apple. Ah. And then I said, well, now I don't want this, which was the next worst apple. I don't don't want that one. And the very next person picked that apple. And so on and so on. So each person in turn chose what I would describe as the worst apple. Ah. And that communicated something significant to me. Mm -hmm. Um... That, that communicated, the, really, the spirituality of the focal mm. They wanted to make themselves one with the other people at the table. And so, um, rather than let someone else take the worst apple, mm-hmm. each person, in turn, took the worst apple. And um, I, I found that very moving. So, even though I didn't fully understand everything that was being said at this school, yeah. because it was in Italian, I saw them in a very practical
1: little way mm-hmm. trying to love mm-hmm. their neighbor the way they would love Christ. A little way but incredibly profound at least for you and, and your yeah. understanding of things. and. Um, I was struck by how you said at the beginning, you know, you were limited uh, linguistically, right? You didn't know Italian all that well. And uh, imagine culturally, although you are Italian in your heritage, I'd imagine still living in the United States most of your life, it was still a little, you know, it rocked the boat a little bit. And instead of trying to wrap your head around it, you observed. And I think it's maybe a tendency of, d- depending on how our personality is structured, right? To try and maybe cognitize something and understand it mentally. But, um, I don't know that that's how God works per se. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, those are the, like you said, small, profound stories. And, uh, how would you say, uh, when you listen for God's voice, you, you know that it's God, you discern that it's God. How, how do you go about that process?
0: Well, I don't always know, <laughs> you know, I, um, uh, Maybe I hear something
1: that I think is God's voice, but then you're not sure. That's probably the best way you could have started that answer, too, now that I think about it. <laughs> right.
0: But I can give you one example. Uh, so um, when I was preparing for solemn vows, mm-hmm. I was really questioning whether or not I should take them. Okay. And the issue for me was, by taking solemn vows, poverty, chastity, obedience... I would be foregoing the possibility of having my own family and having my own children, right? And I have to tell you that I, I really love children. Um, I, I, I think I would have been a very good father, you know um, And the, the thought of not having my own children was mm. a, a rather big deal for me. Mm. So I was in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel here at the abbey. And I was talking to the Lord about that. I said, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I I don't know if I uh, want to forego having my own children. And then I heard in my mind's ear, Dominic, if you give up having your own children for me, I will give you thousands of mine. Mm -hmm. If you give up having your own children for me, I will give you thousands of mine. Now, when I heard those words in my mind's ear, I was not in any way sure Mm -hmm. that I was hearing God. Mm -hmm. I might have been hearing my own imagination. But I said, well, maybe it's the Lord. And I decided, okay, I'm going to act as if it was the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I decided to take solemn vows. And that was, uh, oh, I don't know, about 50 years ago now. <laughs> so that was a big bet, huh? That it was the Lord. But about five years ago, I was pastor at St. Gabriel Parish in South Philadelphia. And uh, I was preaching at a Sunday Mass, and the Gospel uh, was about the rich young man walking away from Jesus mm-hmm. because he had many possessions and he couldn't let go of them. Okay. And uh, Simon Peter said to Jesus, uh, I, Jesus said to Simon Peter "So how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven mm. um, and Simon Peter said but Lord we've given up everything to follow you mm. and, and Jesus said I hope I get the right order but mm-hmm. no one who has given up father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children mm. for my sake will not receive a hundred times over and I thought Okay, so at that point in the in the, in the homily, I was mm-hmm. I, I remind I was saying, you know that reminded me For sure. of that time in in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, like forty five years before that, mm-hmm. and I I shared with the congregation that Sunday morning. I shared with them. I said, you know, I struggled with whether or not I should make solemn vows, mm-hmm. take solemn vows, and I told them because I. I, I was really uh, thinking that maybe I would like to have my own family, my own children. And then I shared with them at, in the parish, I shared what I, you know, I heard in my mind's ear, thinking that it might be the Lord. And I said, and I told them, I said, what I heard in my mind's ear was Dominic, if you give up having your own children for me, I will give you thousands of mine. Just at that moment, At that very moment, a little toddler escaped the clutches of his mother from the very back of the church, ran all the way down the center aisle of the church, right to where I was preaching, and he put his arms out like this for me to pick him up. I picked him up, and I kissed him. Imagine that. Everybody in the the church went, (gasps) (laughs) And for me... That was, that was like a sign from God that right. the Lord confirmed what I had heard 45 years before. Right. If you give up having your own children for me, I will give you thousands of mine. And this little boy runs up to me. He, didn't, he couldn't speak. Sure. He just ran right up to me. And I didn't even know who he was. Right. I didn't know his mother. I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. He runs right up to me at that moment. With his arms outstretched for me to pick him up, I picked him up. I kissed him, put him back, let him go back to his mother. But I felt that that was the uh, the sign yeah. that what I had heard was really the Lord. Mm. And it was forty five years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> forty five years. Talk about later. the sermon, right? <laughs> so uh, you know, I I thought forty five years before it could have been the Lord, mm-hmm. but now I now I was convinced, right. Because in fact, the Lord has given me the opportunity to serve many children, mm-hmm. and uh, I have rejoiced in that ability. Mm-hmm. And the Lord was faithful to that promise. Mm-hmm. And um, even though we're not a hundred percent sure, right. it sounded
1: like the Lord. Right. So I
0: made the presumption that it.
1: Might be the Lord, right? Right, and, and I think that that boy was listening that day too to the Lord and knew that was his cue to run to the front, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it, oh, that just brings to mind, uh, you know, having to be like a child to enter the kingdom, right? Uh, having that again, the humility, the openness, the oh, yeah, the uh. The, the willingness to follow and, and seek, right? And, uh, to, and that little boy was
0: somehow open to right, God.
1: Right. <laughs> and what does that say about, you know, maybe how we get old and a little callous, right? Cause we have to process everything in our minds. Yeah. And figure out how to be a productive citizen. Right. But uh, ultimately it comes to having that just very simple naivete almost. Right, I mean, right. we have to be careful there. Right. Because like you said, right. how do we know is this is really God, but uh, to some extent, we have to almost suspend our disbelief that God would speak to you or I about what the great plans are for our life, right? Right. right. So uh, that's a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, would you say that there are other ways that you think that God communicates to us? Um, either maybe through an example of a story of your own, or just you know, if you care to. Well, actually. Open up? Uh... <laughs> sometimes uh I believe God
0: uh may communicate through dreams mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. I have a lot of examples, but mm-hmm. I just want maybe i 'll share one with you sure please so uh I was given the responsibility of, of being a pastor in a parish uh um, and uh it was very challenging in those first years that I was pastor, I felt that some people were. Giving well, they were giving me a hard time. Let's put it that way, and uh, I was trying to energize the parish, and I was, if I could use this image, uh, I felt like I think I had a pretty deep reservoir of spiritual energy, Mm -hmm. but I was like gushing out, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, in with a a, if you had the pipe kind of a image, Mm -hmm. this a big pipe. Uh, maybe six, eight inches across, and I'm gushing out my spiritual energy mm-hmm. to try to give new life to this parish. And um, and I felt like I was getting some in return, but not to the same level, Sure, you know? Mm-hmm. More challenges <laughs> mm. than uh, positive uh, energy. And I was getting to the point where I felt like I was beginning to run out uh, okay. of what I needed to con- you know, to continue. And I wasn't sure I would be able to uh, carry through. I I had been there uh, six years and making some progress, of course, but I'm thinking, I don't know if I have the spiritual energy to Mm -hmm. keep going. So I asked the community here if I could uh, uh, take a retreat. They they would cover the parish for me. And uh, I... I figured I'd I'd take a retreat uh, and take a book with me. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't sure which book to take. So while I'm I'm thinking, uh, uh, what book should I take? I happened to have a dream Mm -hmm. that I was in this large religious bookstore, thousands of books before me, and I haven't a clue uh, where to begin to Mm -hmm. look. Well, this little boy, he's about seven years old, comes to me in this dream and, and says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm looking for a book to take with me on retreat. Mm-hmm. And this little boy says, why? And I said, well, I need to be spiritually refreshed. The little boy, seven years old, perhaps, mm-hmm. said, you might learn something from Tertullian. Heavy <laughs> words from a seven-year-old. Tertullian? I didn't even know I mean I recognized the name Tertullian I knew he lived like in the first century Mm -hmm. of Christianity or so Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, and I'm thinking what? (laughs) (laughs) but uh, anyway I go and pick up some books uh, in this big store and I'm noticing how expensive they are so I I, I carry all of these books uh, to the counter to the uh, cashier, and set the books down, and I I, I really don't think I can pay for them, I don't have enough money, because they were just so expensive, and this little boy uh, uh, follows me, and puts his hand in his pocket, and grabs out all this cash, and puts it on the counter, and he pays for all the books, And, and I bent down, and I said, what are you doing, I can't let you do that, what would your father say? And the little boy looks up at me and says, My father lets me give what is mine to whomever I please. My father lets me give what is mine to whomever I please. And then he kissed me on the cheek. And that was the end of the dream. And I was like, oh! (laughs) It was, for me, it was clear. Right that the Lord was coming to me in a dream, in the the non-threatening form of a little boy, Mm -hmm. uh, basically saying, look Dominic, I know what you're going through, I'm here with you, and I will provide what you need. I will will cover the cost, Mm -hmm. but I'm here with you, and it pleases me to provide what you need. It pleases me to give what is mine to you. And I thought, oh my goodness. I was just blown away, and so strengthened, and so encouraged, and it gave me a, 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 an ability to to just go back into my ministry with new energy, with new excitement. And this was even before the retreat. This was before the yeah. retreat. Yes, yeah. uh, and I looked up at uh, Tertullian uh, uh-huh. because I didn't really know much about him. I knew he was a first or second century Christian writer, and. Uh, Basically, he was never made a saint because he was a he was a rigorist. Mm-hmm. He was basically too hard on himself okay. and on others. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, maybe that was the message right. that Tertullian, and the Lord was saying to me: don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> so that was
1: that was really a very positive experience for me. And God does have a sense of humor, although it can take us some time to get the, jo- the joke sometimes right to get the punchline. Yeah. There is definitely a sense of humor there. Um, what struck me is that um, you talk about dreams, and I think of how uh, the uh, psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who was affirming of religion and spirituality, uh, although he really wouldn't comment on it outside of his discipline as a, uh, as a psychiatrist, he was affirming of it and its place within the human experience, the human psyche, and he said that people forget, that, and this is me paraphrasing, people forget that God communicates chiefly through dreams and visions. We look back to the Old Testament, look anywhere in Scripture, really, right? Yes. Um, and look back to the lives of the saints where we kind of started this conversation. It's through, or it's in these uh, apparently abnormal experiences that normal people have that they receive this communication or feel that sense of relationship, intimacy. And uh, maybe that's a call for us to maybe normalize the sharing of those experiences, right? Uh it's certainly a profound tool, and we can apply it to our lives and integrate it, and I think you're a shining example of where that discernment can lead you, you know? But you, you share these stories honestly. You share them with a sense of humanness that I think people can really connect to, and that in itself is a spiritual gift, I would think. So, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, how did you know that God wanted you to be a priest? Right? I asked this question of how do you listen for God, how do you know it's God? Uh, And you talked about the sermon before, um, particularly this call to this vocation for you. How would you go about that?
0: Well, I'll I'll tell one last story. Okay. (laughs) Um, When I first came to the Abbey, I was a 17-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. The only scriptures that I really knew were were what I uh, heard on Sundays Mm -hmm. or or in in catechism class in school. Uh, So I wasn't very, very familiar with the scriptures in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I came here and I I became aware of so many more things Mm -hmm. and and scriptures that I would read seemingly for the first time. Mm -hmm. And one of those scriptures that really touched me as soon as I heard it as a young novice was John 17. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. John 17, where Jesus prays to the Father, Father, may they all be one. May they be so completely one that the world will believe it was you who sent me. I was blown away by that prayer of Jesus. May they all be one. I felt something of the scriptures just jumping into my heart. And, and I felt immediately that if I were ever to be a priest, mm-hmm. my, my ministry would have to be the fulfillment of that prayer, as best I could participate in that, that somehow I have to work toward the fulfillment of that prayer of Jesus, to bringing people together, and um, that. So that scripture was like uh, the icon mm. of ministry to the mm-hmm. priesthood for me, mm-hmm. and so that was when I was a first year novice, I heard that uh, and felt that. And anyway, if you jump uh, seven to eight years, um, I was ordained a deacon, uh, and um, so then I asked a priest friend, Joe Serrano, to uh, if he would be willing to preach at my first mass. Now, because we're going to be nervous, I mean, we would be nervous doing the first Mass, when do I stand, when do I (laughs) sit, when do I hold my hands out like this, what if I lose my place in the book, anyway, we're a little bit nervous for the first Mass, so we would often uh, ask a a priest friend to preach at that first Mass Mm -hmm. and I said to him, and the first Mass would be on a Sunday, and I said to him, Joe uh, I know that you'll do a fine job, and Uh, The only thing is, I really, really want the gospel to be John 17. And I explained to him, I said, if I ever heard God speak to me, he put that prayer Mm -hmm. in my heart. Mm -hmm. That that's what it is for me to be my focus as a priest. But I don't know how we'll get that scripture uh, at a Sunday Mass. Because in the Catholic Church, you you can... change the, the scriptures for Mass almost any day. Sure. But the church wants everybody in the whole universal church mm-hmm. to hear the same scriptures on Sundays. And there's a three-year cycle, you know, so that we get the breadth of the, the scriptures, not just, you know, my personal preferences. We get the breadth of the scriptures. So there's a three-year cycle of
1: readings mm-hmm.
0: at Masses, uh, Sunday Masses. And I said, I don't know how I could ever get that on Sunday. Um, but I'm just letting you know, that's what I would really like. Right. Well, subsequent to that, that time, I went through a very, very difficult time, vocational time. I was um, really, really struggling. Uh, and it was a, a, a time of great angst. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression having... Uh, butterflies. Oh yeah. You know, like in your stomach. Cold well, feet. Yeah, but this wasn't butterflies. This was like a, an, a locomotive engine driving <sighs> through my gut. That's what it was, and it was for months that I, and essentially, uh, I felt unworthy and incapable mm. of being a priest. Mm. How could I ever be a priest? Mm. And I won't go into reasons why I felt that way, but it really was very, very deep within me, the struggle, mm-hmm. and a lot of anxiety, and, and I felt, well, maybe I, maybe this won't happen. Maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't be a priest. But uh, I'm struggling all this time. And uh, about six weeks, and I shared this struggle with Father Joe, so he mm-hmm. knew what I was going through. Uh, about six weeks before the ordination was scheduled, and I didn't have a, anything to say about when it was going to be scheduled, mm-hmm. I just looked up the readings for the day of my first Mass, the Seventh Sunday, uh, cycle C, uh, Seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, mm-hmm. oh, in Easter Time, Seventh Sunday at Easter Time, cycle C. And uh, the first reading was uh, St. Stephen, being stoned to death. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, the second reading was from the book, the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the mm. beginning and the end. Okay. And then it says, the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and the bride, meaning the church, mm-hmm. the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. I said, huh. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Well, that's pretty cool. And then I look up the gospel that is scheduled for the day of my first Mass. Now you're going to guess right away. John 17. Father, may they all be one. Mm. May they be so completely one that the world may believe it was you who sent me. I could not believe my eyes. Mm -hmm. Once in three years, that gospel is proclaimed in the Catholic Church. And it's proclaimed... Throughout the entire world in the right. Catholic Church, that's when it's proclaimed and where it's proclaimed. And it was for the day of my first mass, mm-hmm. and I felt well. I didn't. I did not feel any more worthy, nor did I feel any more capable. Okay. But I felt God was saying through that experience, mm. Dominic, you got it right. Right. You heard me. I want this to be the heart of your ministry as a priest. Mm. I want you to do everything you can mm-hmm. to fulfill this prayer of mine. Mm-hmm. So I felt that God was confirming mm-hmm. um, that I was called to the priesthood. And again, I'll say it again, I did not. I do not feel now, where did I feel then, mm-hmm. that I was any more worthy or any more capable. Mm-hmm. But I just felt that God wanted me to be a priest. Yeah, And I can't shake that. Mm-hmm. So um, I know during the time that I was ordained that there were a lot of people who left the priesthood for some reason or, no, or another, mm-hmm. but I never felt uh, the desire to leave. I could not leave
1: what I mm. believe God called me to. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, the last thing you said, I mean, it's a profound story in itself, But uh, and you've shared that with me before, but the last sentence you said, and it may have been a little trivial to you, but that a lot of men had been leaving the priesthood at that time, And, you know, I understand that throughout church history, there have been movements. It ebbs and flows when it comes to religious vocation and religious spiritual movements even within the church, right? So, you know, we're all affected by our time, our epoch that we live in to some extent. Yet that call is such a personal thing. The call to vocation is such a personal thing. Whatever one's vocation is in life, that it really takes uh, a firmness to... To be able to say that, no, I do feel like that this is what God is calling me to, despite what the rest of the world around me might doing, might be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a, uh, a pretty important message we can take from that, too, because uh, I think that's a situation that we all might find ourselves in at some point, where I don't know if this is where God wants me to be right now, Right. and that's a very honest question to ask ourselves, and you say even all these years later, right, some of those feelings have not changed, but... You hold it all together in that, despite me having some hang-ups or whatever you want to call them, which we all have, right? I still acknowledge that there is a bigger plan here that I'm a part of, that God calls me to, in all my imperfections, yes, right? right. To, to work with what is and to just share my life as a ministry, and uh, that's right. an incredibly beautiful thing. Yeah, and
0: and I mean, I I still am a man of weakness, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, it would be very easy for me to say, you know, you don't really have what it takes. Mm-hmm. And, and, or you mess up so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think God's saying that, I, I know that. right? <laughs> but I'm here. So what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to provide what you need.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Abbot Dominic.
0: Uh, yeah, I know maybe my stories are a little bit quirky, so I'm uh, sometimes a little embarrassed in sharing them. But uh, it, it really is—it <laughs> really is my story. So I don't know
1: what else to do. <laughs> yeah, and and you say it with a smile on your face and with honesty and authenticity in your voice. You know, I think anyone that knows you knows that's you. Um, but uh, it, we're we're all quirky, right? We all experience these. Uh, odd events in our lives, these odd circumstances where we feel like the the fabric of space-time is really kind of coming apart at the seams, but in that, maybe that's God kind of making a little space for us to look through to see a a clearer representation of His face and the people we encounter, the the situations we're in, and how we can be Mm -hmm. that light for others despite, you know, what we may think of ourselves, there is a higher opinion that, a higher personality has of us, right? That's right. And uh, that's an important thing to come back to. We, we all oscillate, right? We, we go yeah. back and forth. But you yeah, yeah. um, And I think for any of you that know Abbot Dominic, you know that he has a certain lightness to him, um, a certain joy that uh, speaks uh, profoundly of, you know, the, that, that spiritual reservoir that you said that is within us. And um, I thank you for sharing that story, too, where you said that you kind of felt like you were You know, there wasn't that uh, mutual reciprocity really, and I think that's for especially people in ministry, a very, uh, uh, I don't want to say unfortunate, it's just a reality, right? When when we're always giving of ourselves, it's important to keep our our own reservoir full, right? Right. Um, And uh, for those that maybe aren't in a ministry field per se, that's just your life, your, the spirituality of your own life and how you care for your loved ones, your children, your your significant other, the community you live with, right? So, uh, you know, that spiritual presence, like we kind of started with, is not just dictated by Dominic being an abbot or, you know, someone being a priest or a nun or a lay person, but just that everyday flow of life right. and how that is all a mysterious communication, connection, relationship with God. And through this process of discernment that Abbot Dominic has walked us through today and just by, again, sharing his own stories and doing so in a way that, uh, you know, makes you laugh, makes you tear up a little bit, makes you just appreciate the, the wondrous mystery of life, um, we're very grateful for him doing that today. So thank you. thank you. Thank you for being with us today and we'll look forward to having you on at a time near in the future when you can take us more into that story that you alluded to regarding the um, uh, the Bethesda Project in the city of Philadelphia. So we'll get you on again soon for that. Um, but uh, for those of you that are listening or watching at home, we just want to express our gratitude one more time to thank you for uh, your prayers, your, your sharing, and your, um, your financial support of uh, the Springhouse Media Ministry here at Dalesford Abbey. Uh, remember, you can go online, delsfordorg springhouse, hyphen, media, slash, support to support us. Um, and we always appreciate the sh- the shares on social media as well. Uh programming we've got rolling right now is Rock the Word 153 with Father John Zagarella, Art and Artists at the Abbey with Father Andrew Seferni, and of course uh another s- installment today here Abbeycast. Uh coming up in the future this fall, October into November, uh, we'll see some more and uh formal uh print announcements coming up. Uh but we're going to be offering a program called Meditative Mondays. It's going to be a retreat given over the series of a few weeks uh, by Father Joe Serrano, another Norbertine here, who I'm sure many of you know, um, an excellent teacher, a college professor at St. Joe's University for uh, a large chunk of his his life, and um, a great person to learn from, so that's something to look forward to coming up here. Um, if today's conversation with Abbot Dominic or any of the other content you've maybe uh, tuned in here at Springhouse has... Uh, just cause you to you know, uh, take some time to think and pray and uh, contemplate your path in life and where God might be calling you. Uh, if that does seem to be towards religious life, toward the Norbertine Charism, feel free to reach out, slash vocations, or you can reach out via email, that's vocations at delstra.org. And uh, another plug for the Abbey here in the Spirituality and Retreat Center. Uh, great time of year to take a private retreat for yourself. These past few months, with uh, the pandemic, with the uh, society kind of shutting down, has been disorienting and. I think it's important for all of us to take some time and think about kind of like our conversation touched on today what's at the center of our lives what's the most important thing here so if uh, you would like to make a private retreat here at the Abbey it's really the perfect set and setting to allow yourself uh, that uh, experience that wider experience of how God might be communicating with you you can reach out 610-601-8702 and we will get you all set up say that number again oh sure sure 610-601-8702 that's a direct line to the spirituality and retreat center here uh, you can also reach out to me at adr that's alpha delta romeo adr at delsperorg and i could get you set up with the retreat that way as well uh, so again we just want to thank you for uh, your participation in the spring house ministry no matter how you do that whether it's supporting us sharing our our content online or uh, your prayers are just as important so thanks have a great day and we'll look forward to the next time here on Abbeycast. Amen. Thank you. Content from The Springhouse is available free of charge. If you find this ministry is of service to you, we hope that you will support us in providing this content in an ongoing manner. We consider this a pay-it-forward endeavor. Not only would your donation help us to cover the expenses of producing its content, you would make it possible for us to offer it to others as well. As long as we are able, by your generosity, we will continue to produce content which we believe will serve the church. We hope that you might become a partner in this ministry. Please click the link in the description below this video to make a donation.